open your cerebral cortex and shift your lobes into upper beta phase because you are going to have Bitcoin knowledge transmitted directly into your vestibulocochlear. Your host of Bitcoin Knowledge is Trace Mayer, an early Bitcoin advocate since it cost a quarter, but this is not intended to be investment advice. A doctor of jurisprudence, but this is definitely not legal advice. And an investor in core cryptocurrency infrastructure, including Armory, BitPay, Kraken, and Mitagio, but this is not a recommendation of those services. Here, you get fed via direct mind download with pure and free Bitcoin knowledge. Welcome back to the Bitcoin Knowledge Podcast. We have with us Patrick Dugan. He is a trading systems designer at MetaLiquid and also a board member at the Omni Foundation. Uh, Patrick, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks a lot for having me. Yeah, so I'm very excited about this Omni Foundation. It's a Bitcoin 2.0 layer for the blockchain. And, you know, maybe you can give us a little bit of background. Like, what exactly are you doing at MetaLiquid and over at the Omni Foundation? Yeah, so I write trading systems in Node.js and uh, do a lot of arbitrage in Bitcoin. And I'm going to be involved in using that technology in my capacity as a board member of, of the Omni Foundation, which I stepped up. I volunteered to, uh, to join back in April uh, in order to systematically manage the, about 15% of the uh, Omni money supply that the foundation holds and providing liquidity. So... People have complained a lot about how uh, MasterCoin, which we're in the process of rebranding as Omni, has had pretty poor liquidity, and I'm trying to quantitatively solve that. So the, that's where these these two roles meet. Oh, okay, that's uh, that's very interesting. Yeah, because I've noticed that the MasterCoin or OmniCoin has you know five hundred thousand dollars a day of liquidity, when it actually seems that there's quite a bit of utility from it. For example, the MadeSafe coin that's out there. We've interviewed Reeve Collins from Tether. And from what I understand, Tether uh, sits on top of the Omni layer. So, you know, I'm, I'm pretty excited about this. You know, when we're talking about these 2.0 projects, Ethereum, Counterparty, they took like a year to deliver. And so far, you know, it's been almost two years since the crowd sale with the Omni protocol. Like, what's up? What's up with that? <laughs> well, okay. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's a good thing to address. So, I got involved in the project in, in February of 2014, but it, got, it did the crowd sale uh, about eight months prior to that. So in that interval, they started out, I think, a bit naively about best practices in, uh, in technology development and software development. And, and they wanted to do everything decentralized. There was at that time you know, a very kind of idealistic sense about, oh, let's like, decentralize everything, including how, how we work. So they were doing it through bounties. One of the folks who showed up for that was Zathras which I don't believe is his legal name, but uh, so he goes by Zathras. And, and Zathras is a very seasoned developer who has been one of, the, one of a few people who have stuck with the project throughout the duration. And, and he's really been the one who's brought it across the finish line with, with a, a very competent C++ implementation of uh, what's basically Bitcoin QT, but it has all these, these added features. So that was one good thing to come out of that, that early time. But then, and also the counterparty guys got involved and then they were like, okay, this is like, you know, let's just do our own thing. So they, they went and they did their own thing. Anyway, so in the, uh, the middle part of this, this time frame, it was a middle of the year where everything was funded. They were hiring people. That's when Craig Sellers got involved. And he, he's another person who's been uh, very intensely involved uh, and, and loyally involved through the duration 
and they realized, okay, like the tools that we built in the last like 10 months or so, like uh, they were using Obelisk and, and LibBitcoin uh, derivatives. And uh, so they're having syncing issues and they're like, okay, we just got to do one reference implementation as opposed to uh, like what Ethereum did where they did like three, right? Which yeah. seemed like a good idea, but it's like just focus on doing one. So they focused on a C++ fork of Bitcoin QT. So everything is uh, easy to integrate. And and they were they're chipping along with that, and then the last like so through uh, 2015, they ran out of a Bitcoin, and I'm not going to get into the the backroom dealings involved in that, but basically the dedication of of myself and Craig and Zathras and Dex and Adam uh, who who did the uh, the Omni Wallet. Has allowed and and uh, I'm going to mention everyone. Sean Gilligan, who did OmniJ, which is the the Java implementation to allow mobile. Uh, folks have have gotten involved, have stayed involved, despite needing to do other work, and and we've managed to bring it across the finish line. And uh, by the time this podcast launches, we should be a, a, a couple of weeks into being live on the decks. Well, that that's exciting. So, what exactly is like Omni, you know, relative to some of the other projects out there? We've got like Colored Coins, we've got Counterparty Symbiont, uh, you know, and and you've talked about Bitcoin QT. You know, one thing I like about OmniWallet.org is that you can actually manage the private keys to say your MadeSafe coins on. Uh, in your Armory wallet, so they're complete cold storage, but at the same time, you can craft your offline transaction using OmniWallet.org. So, like, maybe you can talk a little bit about that. Like, what exactly is this functionality that's being built with this second layer uh, on top of Bitcoin using the Omni protocol? Sure. So, uh, a lot of, I'm going to shotgun some technical things. So, I just want to mention that um, they've done some work with Bitco on integrating multisig as well. So, the basic idea of a color coin is that you're you're marking Bitcoin specific Bitcoin as so and so asset, right? Uh, but there's a fungibility problem with that, and also then you're you're treating your you know million dollars quote unquote, which is represented as a tiny bit of Bitcoin, like literally, and and that's that's kind of problematic for transacting. Whereas with Counterparty and Omni, you're just looking at transaction outputs as the relevant continuation of a Merkle branch. Merkle branch is like, you know, a, a set in a, maybe the, it's not the right. <laughs> All right, I'm slipping on, on technical language here, but um, I, uh, I'll Mer- send- Merkle, uh, Merkle branches, tree change, Merkle roots, like it's all Greek to everybody, right? <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, so basically it's like a stamp as opposed to a, uh, you know, a commemorative coin, if you will. So I'll send you a transaction for 5,000 Satoshis, whatever the minimum is, the spam limit on the network. And then on the back of that stamp is like, yeah, this, here's $100, right? Or here's uh, 1,000 made safe. Now, whatever. does it go into the off return code? Because, uh, you know, I've seen quite a, quite a bit <clears throat> of these transactions. There'll be like 5,775 Satoshis in made safe coin instances. You then embed stuff into the op return code. Like how exactly do you get this into the Bitcoin blockchain so that it can then be parsed by these colored coin wallets? Right now, it's just unspent transaction outputs uh, that are used to mark uh, a movement of, of a meta layer property from one address to another. One of the things that Zathras has done a really good job with this year is migrating to the pay to store hash environment that, uh, remember last year when everybody was was uh, kvetching about 
Bitcoin 2.0 and how it was going to pollute the blockchain with all this data. Well, they came up with a, a compromise, which is you pay a little bit more fee and then you can store a hash and clean it up. So, so we've moved already to this cleaner aspects. And I do believe that the parsing in the Omnicore database uh, does an return search in order to be able to quickly pull out, okay, here's here are all the addresses that that contain this this property. And, and this um, was also part of uh, di- didn't the total amount also get decreased that could actually be stored? Like it got decreased to 140 characters or something like that. Yeah, um, it was. Uh, yeah, the debate was uh, 80 bytes versus 40 bytes, I believe. Yeah, something and, like that. Yeah, and they went with forty, and and forty is enough that you can have a, a hash and, and a uh, an ID number, and and that's that's enough for for basic stuff. They didn't want people to go get too creative with what they could do with the opportunity. But yeah, it's definitely useful for looking up what other meta layer properties there are uh, in an efficient way. And, and this so, all get, this all gets kind of to the heart of Bitcoin that it's programmable <laughs> trust. Right, and so yes. once you're able to start doing this type of stuff, then we can have what decentralized banking. We can have atomic transactions taking place. Like maybe you can get into that a little bit. Okay, so I'm glad that you brought up decentralized banking. So you're familiar with how centralized banking works, right? I mean, you're well, yeah, they take of- your money and then they don't give it back. <laughs> just, <laughs> just ask the Greeks about that, right? Well, sometimes they give it back. Yeah, they give oh, it back occasionally, until, occasionally. until they don't give it back. Yeah, they, but they have very they have very sticky fingers on the private keys of the assets, uh, whether it's currency controls, whether it's AMLKYC uses an excuse to confiscate assets, whether it's civil uh-huh. forfeiture. I mean, whatever it is, when you have centralized banking, you centralize the private keys that they give you possession or dominion or control over the assets. And so then once all those middlemen have the private keys in their grubby little fingers, they don't like to let those those keys pass back to the true owners or beneficial owners of the property. Uh, well, so, the, so, I mean, how's, decentralized, how, how's decentralized banking kind of work in, in this whole paradigm? Yeah, so like there's no private key to the, the small balance that I keep in my Bank of America account, right? It's just like a notional liability. Right? Yeah, but, and these but at two- the end of the day, it is there is a private key held to those dollars that are the Federal Reserve, and the Federal Reserve has those private keys. Right. There are there are serial numbers associated with the hundred dollar bills, but those hundred dollar bills are a small fraction of the money supply. Yeah. So well, I mean, most basically, of them all are they're digital they're now. Being, so they've been creating money backed against assets, right? And those assets used to be gold under the Bretton Woods thing, and then at post Nixon, it became basically taking debt as your asset to issue more money, and and so on, right? And this has happened at the domestic level. I, I think a lot of people now, since like Ron Paul came out like uh, seven or eight years ago, a lot of people get the idea that the banks are, are creating more money by loaning people money. It's new money. They go spend it, new deposits, thus banks can loan more. People get that. But um, also international derivatives have created a lot of money supply at the international level. So this is taking things that are considered assets, but maybe problematic in a secular debt conflagration, which we may be on the verge of. Or, or have already gone through if people have read The Big Short or you know some of the other housing crisis stuff. Right. So what, what happened in 2008 was that this euro dollar system of international banks using derivatives to hedge, creating these uh, synthetic dollars, 
that money supply started to unwind and then central banks had to come in and type up trillions of dollars in order to keep the whole thing chugging along and it kind of worked for about seven or eight years we were about seven years now but now we're seeing brazil we're seeing china these are commodity export oriented countries that live on this the system and uh there are fewer dollars because all these synthetic dollars are getting unwound and therefore you need to pay more for your dollar to go pay back and well, okay, so decentralized banking is is the solution to all of this mess, and and it's the way. Even even if centralized bank institutions that are regulated and are doing central bank sanctioned activity, they're going to have to migrate towards uh, clearing ledgers. Maybe they buy it from Blythe Masters, but they're they're going to have to take at least a couple of steps in this direction. So what I foresee is that assets like gold or assets like real estate securities. So this is like, you know, a lot of people can go, okay, those things have value. Or assets like Bitcoin, which uh, has zero counterparty risk because it's specie money on that ledger, or assets like Omni or assets like Ethereum could be used as the collateral for the issuance of dollars, for the issuance of euros, for the issuance of whatever denomination you want. And the way that that is possible is through smart contracts, which hedge those positions, right? So back when Bitcoin was rallying in July during the uh, the Greek panic, the premium in the OKCoin futures, which are the most liquid uh, or not most liquid, but the, the most highly traded thing in Bitcoin right now, that premium got, it, it's, it was like typically about like a one, one and a half percent a week. You know, you could like short the weekly contract and, and then at, at the expiration you would have maybe a little more Bitcoin, maybe a little bit less, but the dollar value would, would be 1.5% higher. And you do that every week. That's that's pretty good, right? And it, it got to a point where it was uh, briefly trading at like a 30, 40% premium. It was like overnight, there was like a spike. It was, it was pretty ridiculous. Well, so, OKCoin is definitely the most solid exchange out there. <laughs> yeah, you're right. No, yeah, no. Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll do disclaimer about uh, keeping your funds there. I mean, I trade there because it's where the volume is. But yeah, I wouldn't. Is, well, it, so, is so, it real volume? I've always been kind of suspicious. Is it real volume so over there? They probably, uh, I don't want to say definitely, but probably self-trade on the zero fee uh, CNY exchange or do other things to kind of pump up the volume. But it's those are still orders you can interact with. So I, I don't consider that truly fake. And then the futures, there's a three basis point fee, which is nice and lean. And it isn't super liquid the way that the CNY is. So I... I think that like they did a million and a quarter bitcoins worth of, of trade in uh, one of those those big updates back in July. I, I think that's real volume, and um, it's because people can take a lot of leverage, so they end up flipping a lot of contracts, and and then, you know they're super skittish about it. So the, the moves a buck, they'll try to because it's a big profit to them. They'll, they'll take it. So I think they those are legitimate volumes with the leveraged contracts over there. Is OKCoin the one that like uh, socializes the losses? So against the people who who traded yeah, directly. They, yeah, they haven't had to do that though since November. Oh, there okay. Because like, that's, that's just so shady. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So um, like uh, Bitmax is another uh, centralized one that's trying to be like, a little more uh, trustworthy than them, and they've got twenty five x leverage on their um, speculative contracts and. And then they have a hedging contract where they'll like they'll never socialize losses. And then like the speculative one, it's like, well, this 25x leverage. If Bitcoin blows out 30% overnight and crashes back down, maybe some people have to claw it back. But they they spell that out. And uh, likewise, OKCoin has an insurance fund. So these are sort of uh, 
you know, little patchwork attempts to, to try to solve the issue of, of counterparty risk. Yeah, because I mean that because that's what we're getting at, right? We've got these yeah. uh, derivatives, daisy chain like effect, you know, with the dollar strengthening and it's, it's acting like a margin call across the world, uh, mm-hmm. causing currency crises. You know, now China, China's uh, recently devalued uh, what something like five percent. We've had Puerto Rico go into actual bond default. Greece is oh, did, uh, did they in mess. Default? Oh yeah, yeah. Puerto Rico actually defaulted, which makes me, which yeah, they missed seventy-two million dollar payment, uh, and oh, then they're yeah. going to default on another payment here pretty soon. So it makes me wonder if that's going to be triggering like the credit default swaps, and then what effects that going to have on these bond insurers and reinsurers, you know, on up the chain. I mean, because as Buffett says, these are these are daisy chain uh, wep- financial weapons of mass destruction, and then you know, further connecting the dot, like the Tengen port explosion, it makes you wonder, like, oh, you know, is that kind of retaliation for China wanting to get into the SDR and then being denied and instead revaluing their, I mean, re-reporting their gold supply holdings over 60% higher. Uh, And then, you know, China's come out again with another 19 tons, another 5% increase. So, I mean, like we're in a currency war right now. And we will find out that China has over 10,000 tons in the country and they're, they're going for 20 at at some point. Um, but it's pretty easy for a central bank to devalue a currency when they their balance of payments is is fitting. All you have to do is stop printing your own currency to to go and do swaps for the other currency and basically get it get a really heavy losing position. If you just stop doing that, then the currency will will tend to find its market price, right? And and they they basically just threw in the towel like like Switzerland did and 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 everybody else. You know, there's there's this collective sense that the central planners can't can't keep the lid on things. And and just another technical point, like the credit default swaps may may net out like, you know, tens of billions of dollars on some of these things. Uh, and of course, if you had like a worldwide chain, that would be a big deal. But the really big deal are the currency swaps and the interest rate swaps, which are have notional values in the hundreds. Of right. Trends. Because because when you have a counterparty failure due to inability to properly uh, perfect the collateral or whatever it is, notional becomes nominal, Right. Yeah. Well, that's yeah. That's the deflationista argument, right? And um, and well, you know, I mean, I wrote a book about this. It. I wrote a book about this back in two thousand eight, the great the great credit contraction. And I mean, it's all okay. playing out like capital seeking the safer, more liquid assets. Uh, we yep. want to remove the layers between us and our private keys. We want to remove our layers between us and financial assets, getting into tangibles, whether it's gold or Bitcoin. Uh, and this gets to the heart of what we're talking about with this decentralized banking, right? Yeah, so let's let's get back to that. So basically, like it's now possible for people to a own their money in the the realest sense you can. Like the gold bugs say that if you don't hold oh, it, you even, don't own it. But even you more, have but even, but even more so than gold, because like we've been able to distill it down to a precious number instead of a precious metal that you have to have physical right. possession of. And so now we've got just a, an intangible number that you need to have properly secured. And then it, right. and it can't we, be confiscated in that sense. Like gold yeah, can. you know, a judge could could put you in contempt of court for not, you know, signing a transaction to turn it over to them. But well, it'll, yeah, it'll it'll be interesting the due process implications because there's no way to affirmatively prove, due to plausible deniability, that you actually do have control of a private key. Yeah, yeah. Too bad Ross Ubrick couldn't have uh, capitalized on that one, right? Well, but, yeah, uh, well, he 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 had a lot of other problems with his uh, with his defense, yeah, yeah. like the fact yeah, that he probably did it. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, I, I I will not speak ill of of the imprisoned, but 
Yeah. So, so with decentralized banking, you can really own your money in a strong sense and you can have a hedge that is backed by smart contracts. So one of the main things that I've done with the, um, with the Omni projects in uh, the R&D side is, is uh, trying to design decentralized futures contracts. And that's a bounty that uh, probably will still be open by the time this goes live. And I want to get more people involved in it. I think I've got four or 5,000 Omnis earmarked as a bounty reward for that. And so right now that's worth uh, about 10K and I think could potentially be worth uh, closer to 50K as, as we roll out. And the value that it's going to add to the Omni token, of course, is, is going to really big. manifest. Yeah, so there, there is an issue that you, you were talking at about the, the socialization of losses. And so far, none of these centralized Bitcoin futures exchanges have had to, to dip into that again, even with some pretty decent volatility recently. But wouldn't it be like amazing if we could just do away with that? And it's like, here's Bitcoin on the blockchain. It's in a smart contract. So while Symbion is trying to take functionality like what Ethereum has and to do it on Bitcoin and Ethereum is trying to like be the future in like the most comprehensive sense possible. What we want Omni to be is a really solid C++ basis for moving money around, trading money over the decentralized exchange or, or assets of any kind. And we want to get, I want to get this futures contract baked into the database layer and, and the almost like hard coded so that we can do these derivative settlements really effectively. And once we have that basis, then it's going to be possible to take Omni as collateral for those contracts and get exposure to the S&P or whatever you want, or to be holding dollars where if you, uh, if there's a premium, let's say Omni manages to appreciate from its million dollar market cap to a higher amount, then there's going to be a speculative demand and then there's going to be a contract premium. So you could take your Omnis and create dollars that are yielding 1% a week or, or whatever that, that contract premium is. And then uh, a little bit later, we're going to open this up so that you can do it with Tether dollars, you can do it with whomever's uh, gold deposit tokens and so on and, and back your money in that sense. And potentially there's some other uh, technologies that I'm looking at like an honorable mention to uh, Mirror X's contract, which I think they're they're working off of Bitcoin D in a different direction than than the Omni uh, core is is a fork of Bitcoin D as well, which is why exchanges have found it easy to integrate because they already have Bitcoin D integrated, so they just add more more RPC calls basically. Yeah, uh, a little well, more than that. I mean, all of those are just super fascinating. We're we're talking about true financial innovation happening with uh, Bitcoin uh, distributed consensus, programmable trust, all of these things. Uh, and you you really think that this could could be a a solution to this problem that has no practical solution? Uh, this great credit right. attraction. Yeah, I I think at some level. Every, the entire world's going to have to migrate into this over the next five ten years, and whether they do it in a sort of you know, in a way that like Chris DeRose would not approve, you know, like some permission ledgers and stuff like that I, is okay. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I definitely uh, prefer to own my money, right? So yeah, I, I, yeah, I, I like the to decentralize. Yeah, exactly. So, so where can people find you if they want to learn more? I am publishing uh, analysis regularly at metaliquid.io. And we're going to have a link in line for, for getting Omni and you know, downloading that software and, and playing around with that. 
And what I think uh, OmniLayer, uh, OmniLayer.org is where we're able to learn more about the Omni protocol. And then also Omni.Foundation. It looks like those are the two places where we can learn more about the, uh, the Omni Foundation. Thanks so much Thank for being on the podcast. We've had Patrick Dugan, the trading system designer at MetaLiquid and a board member at the Omni Foundation. Uh, thanks for being with us. Yeah, it was my pleasure. Be sure to get a copy of the free Bitcoin guide at freebitcoinguide.com. Got a question or suggestion? Record your voice at bitcoin.kn. Don't be shy. To help the show, share Bitcoin.kn with friends, post about it on Reddit, and otherwise, spam the interwebs. Your iTunes comments and five-star reviews are very important to us. Please continue tuning in to the Bitcoin Knowledge Podcast, where we release interviews with the top people in the Bitcoin world. Now take some choline and let that Bitcoin knowledge consolidate. <laughs>